Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, and welcome to HFL 84 with the classical trombonist Christopher Bill. If you're like me, your first introduction to Christopher Bill was either the Happy video or the Star Wars videos that he put out on YouTube. Young trombone player, amazing talent, and also incredibly insightful. I think you're going to enjoy this interview with Christopher. I've excerpted a portion of his interview, and that is strictly for my Patreon patrons. If you would like access to that interview, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash studiohfl. And for all of my current Patreon patrons, thank you very much for your continued support, as well as Messina Covers, Pickett Blackburn, S.E. Shires, and the Eastman Music Company. I'd also appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a star rating and a review. That would greatly help the visibility of this podcast. You can find show notes for today's episode and others at studiohfl.com slash blog. And before we get to today's interview, here's a bit more about the sponsors from Aaron Rom. Take it away, Aaron. Continued interviews from Studio HFL are made possible through the support of Messina Covers, Eastman Music Company, Pickett Blackburn, S.E. Shires, and through the generosity of Patreon subscribers. Trumpet players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, perhaps even more so than other brass instrumentalists. If you have an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers has your solution for completely custom case designs, even down to crazy color schemes. Let's not forget about options for mouthpiece pouches, or pretty much anything you'd want to keep protected in a custom case. Check them out at MessinaCovers.net. If you're looking for excellence in trumpets, trombones, horns, and tubas, you need look no further than the Eastman Music Company and S.E. Shires. Eastman offers a complete line of brass instruments, from the beginner all the way up to the professional. And you know they're invested in creating a quality product when the legendary Doc Severinsen helped design Eastman's beginner trumpet model. You can find more information about the Eastman Music Company at EastmanWinds.com and you can learn more about the S.E. Shires line of instruments at SEShires.com. Pickett Blackburn has established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. If you haven't had a chance to try any mouthpieces available through Pickett, you can check them out online at PicketBlackburn.com. And on the Blackburn side of Pickett Blackburn, it would be worth your while to check out their incredible line of trumpets endorsed by such great musicians as Vince DiMartino. Be sure to check them out at PicketBlackburn.com, and that's Pickett with two T's. And before today's interview, just a reminder that you too can be a financial supporter for this podcast by subscribing at patreon.com slash studiohfl. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash studiohfl. There are four tiers of support, and you can choose the one that best fits your budget. Your support will help offset the cost of production for this podcast and would be greatly appreciated please consider becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studiohfl. And now, on to today's interview with your host, Larry Powell. Oh, good. How are you? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, it's been a weird couple weeks, but hanging in there. Yeah. So, Chris or Christopher, what do you prefer? Uh, Christopher, technically. Christopher. Yeah. Uh, okay. Professionally, I like to do keep it consistent, but I don't really care. Cool. So why isn't it Christopher William then, not just Christopher Bill, right? Christopher, See? Yeah, get the. <laughs> in there. 
So, Christopher, welcome to my podcast. You know, the first time I saw you, it was a video of uh, Happy. Sure. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, and I'm watching this and I'm thinking, no, no. Whoa, this is way too cool, man. Because, you know, and so for the listeners, you know, what's happening is it's, it's you're looping things. You're, you're laying down the rhythm and, and some, some bass harmony or bass line and some harmony and then and the melody. But, man, that was like, that was really fun. And, of course, what made it so fun was it just, it was flawless. It was seamless. It was like, okay, so my question is, how many takes did it get <laughs> to get that one down? Every time I tell the story, it gets longer, but uh, it was, uh, so as the story goes, and I don't know how much of this is true, because I've said it to Wait, you were there, right? I was there, but I, (laughs) you know, the stories just get more and more elaborate as you go. Um, I believe I started at 7 p.m., and the take that you saw was 7 a.m., so, you know. Um, (laughs) All right. But... That one was interesting because I I had a pretty good framework of what I was trying to do. Um, I was doing it on software, not looping pedals. So I was using Ableton and queuing Mm -hmm. different things on that. And that was overly complicated. So, you know, most of the takes that were screwed up were like, I pressed a button wrong or something. (laughs) Watching the video back, it's funny because I, I... I really only needed to press like four buttons on my computer five times throughout the video. Right. And you see me press maybe 16 or 17 times. And that's because I kept missing. <laughs> and so it's just like, <laughs> oh, missed it again, missed it again. So uh, yeah, stuff like that. Um, and of course, yeah, the performance gets better as, as it goes on. What's what's great about that is, you know, the secret of, of editing is um, recording to software meant everything was isolated. So, you know, missing notes and things like I right. can always go back and, right. and punch in and stuff. So that wasn't as much of a problem, but the pacing and everything really had to be right. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was, I believe it was 12 hours yeah. of <laughs> trial and error. Wow. So, you know, I want to talk more about the electronics and, and sure. all that. But first, I mean, first and foremost, you're a terrific musician. I, I suppose it's on the list. Uh, yeah, well, I you are. I'm, so I'm a better arranger, better editor, better better marketer. But yeah, I mean, I went to school for classical music. It's it's there somewhere. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about that. Where'd you go to school, and and what was the intent? Yeah. So I went to school at the Purchase Conservatory uh, State School in New York, and studied with Weston Sprott, the Met Opera. Um, mm among so many other great great trombone teachers who just, it was kind of this revolving door for better or for worse of great re- trombone teachers there was uh weston sprott there was paul pollard um we had i mean the the teacher i ended up with was was tim albright uh of uh atlantic brass quintet and all sorts mm-hmm. of i mean he played on broadway and the west side story revival and he's um played with all sorts of like Steve Lehman, like all these great contemporary jazz, like everything, mm-hmm. brass quintet, mm-hmm. Broadway, classical jazz. And so that was a really, really great spot for me. Uh, ended up with him. Um, but the intent was, I mean, at the time to get into a major orchestra, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's what that program was designed to do. And from the moment I got there, I knew I didn't want to do that. <laughs> what so, What was it that, that changed your mind? Um, the Honestly, I think the passion of the people around me. Um, 
I saw what it would take, you know, and I saw how excited the other musicians around me were for that path, and I knew I was not. I was not doing that, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. They were they were listening to all of this rep and practicing all this rep and being really excited about the orchestral auditions and all of this and their you know um, excerpts and and I was just not, uh, you know. They'd be like, "Oh, have you heard this Mahler?" I'm like, "No, not really." Oh, you have to. And I'd listen. It just it wasn't. I wasn't as passionate about it. And so, I loved it, but I wasn't passionate like that. And I would say now, looking back now, having an appreciation for it. I'm more passionate about it now than I was then, but yeah, at the time it was just not what I was really trying to do, but I didn't know what I was trying to do. So then I started kind of swiveling around and uh, there was a moment where I was actually going to give up trombone completely and, you know, still play, I'm sure, but but um, I was going to try to like write pop tunes for a living. Uh, there was a major there. I actually had all of the papers like written out, ready to go to switch wow. majors. Um, and in that process, I, I switched trombone teachers for half of a semester, and because I had to finish out the year before I could switch, mm-hmm. and that was that was kind of what what brought me back was going into my first lesson with with Tim Albright, and um, instead of the previous vibe, which worked for so many students and and works great for many many students, which is just you know here's the piece, learn it, and we'll we'll work on it, and I'll tell you how to you know what not to do right right uh and then it was just kind of this mirror image which was what do you want to play you know and i'm like uh maybe we could work on improvisation great let's do that you know uh and then we start working on improvisation and he's going okay well let's let's work on the intonation of this let's work on like your tone quality here of course we're working on all of the same things that we would work on (laughs) with anything else but it was it was just a different way to approach it um and maybe less what not to do and what to do which is a really really hard thing and many teachers don't have that quality it's just it's just like lightning in a bottle i think for a teacher but a way to you know if a student isn't getting it you don't just say it again you find a different way to say it and so tim would find 30 ways to say something until something clicked and then the next time i would go back to that habit he would remember the one that worked it was just like it, it was the perfect perfect space for me so yeah and then i from there I thought I would play on Broadway, you know? Uh, I contacted, I remember, I still have my notebook, I contacted every <laughs> Broadway musician. There's a thing, it's like IMDB, but for Broadway, it's called IBDB. Right. And uh, it has the the orchestra musicians listed for, you know, who opened the show. Right. So I found every trombone player for every show in the past, like, 15, 20 years uh, who opened a show and sent them emails, Facebook messages, called them, literally just anything I could find. And I don't know, maybe out of 50, maybe six got back to me. Mm-hmm. One of them let me sit in on a show. This is my sophomore year of college. Let me sit in on, on a Broadway show. Actually, I did that a few times. Um, different people called me up, you know, literally never meeting them, never knowing them. I had four or five hour conversations on the phone with these people mm-hmm. uh, about what to do, you know, how, how to break into the industry what I should be doing uh, while I was in school. And a lot of them, the the idea was kind of like, the mere fact that we're having this conversation means you're on the right track, you know? But that was hard to hear, because I'm like, well, then why isn't, why am I not doing it, right. you know? <laughs> but, I mean, they were right. So, um, 
yeah, Broadway was was really that scene, and those are still a lot of my my closest friends and colleagues are those people who 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 play mm-hmm. on that Broadway mm-hmm. scene. They're just some of the nicest people you'll, you'll ever meet. And then um, from there, yeah, that was kind of the transition into commercial music and getting a little bit more into that and doing yeah. these arrangements, you know. And you can kind of see that kind of turn a corner there from the right. you know classical orchestral stuff to commercial and, and starting to play right. into that. So yeah. You know, I, I think it's important to to highlight the the fact that you knew to call, to contact, email, uh, smoke signal. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever it took, right? You were doing it, and you know, I, I think about young players these days, and it's like, well, I didn't email them, I didn't Facebook message, and I'm like, dude, you literally have the world at your fingertips. All mm-hmm. you have to do is sit down at the at the computer and there are you can contact so many people so quickly it's mm-hmm. like the excuses are gone yeah yeah you and know? i don't i don't really know what i was what the goal was right because you're you kind of go well i want to play on broadway how do i get there there's no auditions you know so it was just kind of like just how do i figure this out and my teacher was playing on broadway and so he would let us sit in sometimes st- cool stuff like that but it's such a, a kind of amorphous industry uh, a lot of times there aren't auditions it's who you know and all of right. that and some of the advice I got was purely playing. And I have these awesome notes. It's in this uh, book, Also Sprach, uh, Arnold Jacobs. Oh, yeah. Uh, great, great literature. And so I had that. I was reading that at the same time. And so actually, if I find that book, I know it's over in my bookcase. It still has all my notes from these phone calls, <laughs> which are really funny because now I'm friends with these people. But this is right? my first time as like, a college student. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Mike Davis, like all these people, that they just pick up the phone. And if you have like a, a promising young player, they're gonna give you all the advice you ever need. Right. Um, but some of it was playing advice. Some of it, honestly, some of the best advice was just like, listen, if you move to New York, and you're fun to be around, you will get all the work you ever need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like you have to be a good player. You don't Absolutely. have to be the best. You just right. have to be a good musician, show up, do what you said you were going to do, be on time, have a pencil, have a pencil for the person next to you, like that kind of stuff, have right. your mutes, you know, if you ever can save somebody else, like ha- if you have an extra mute or something, even, you know, just stuff like that, if right. you can save somebody else and have them look more professional because you saved them, you will never, you know, be hurting for work. So yeah. stuff like that, which it's like obvious, kind of, but... It, yeah, it but it's, it's not a counterproductive. It's a little like you you do have a little rub where it's like, well, that's my competition. Like, oh, good, that person's unprepared, so now I look better. Right. But you know, the more you can help everybody around you, and so that was kind of really important advice. That was Mike Boston gave me gave me some of that advice, which was just like, you just got to be a good person that everybody wants to be around, and you can't afford not to ever be that, especially when you're starting out. So. It was more the interpersonal stuff that I think made an impact uh, on the rest of my career more than any of the playing advice or any of that, you know. Well, and that's that's true. I think everywhere, you know, you, mm-hmm. they have uh, orchestras now have these uh, trial weeks, mm-hmm. you know, for yeah. the finalists, mm-hmm. and I think it's as much, you know, to seeing if you gel playing wise, but also to kind of find the vibe, see if this is somebody that you yeah. can get along with, right? Yeah. Well, and that's I important. Mean, I, I think about it a lot when I hire musicians now, right? Like, who would I want to hire? Is it somebody who I get along with and have a ton of fun when we're not playing, right? 
or is it the musician who's maybe technically better but really not fun to be around you right. know and at the end of the day you're going to make better music with the musician that you get along with right so it's it's you think about it and it's like oh i want to hire just the best people and sometimes those people aren't going to get along and the music you make because of it is not going to be as good right so what's the goal the goal is to make the best music right and so it's actually like well then hire the people that you get along with this really cohesive group of people that um yeah. is going to have fun when they're not playing relaxed environment you know open mm -hmm. communication on and off the horn to make suggestions musically you know try new mm -hmm. things all of that uh it's only gonna work if the interpersonal stuff is working so right you know and of course you just want to hang out with your friends so it's like <laughs> they, there's that side of it too yeah um yeah. and you know i i'm not the best trombone player on earth not even close and yet i've been able to build this whole thing and I, the only thing i can point to is like people like to be around me you know like that's the, i have a personality that that is it works in this industry um and it's weird it's weird that that is so important but you know i i know i'm not i know i'm not the best trombone player so why do i have this and other people don't it's right. like, well it's, i'm good at other things the marketing side and all of these, yeah. these other pieces of the puzzle yeah. so it's really important to i don't know be humble about that that stuff i think well, absolutely. And okay, so uh, I, I don't want to lose this thought. Um, sure. Yeah, you, you're going into school at Purchase, mm -hmm. uh, thinking you want to go the orchestral route. Had, yeah. uh, when did you, you know, in high school, when did that uh, occur to you as this is what, I mean, were you listening to certain people? Were, I mean, you were, already, you were studying with somebody at that point in high school, right? Yeah, yeah, like a local teacher. Um, mm -hmm. So... The early schooling was interesting. So my, my siblings, all older, were uh, taking piano lessons. So I started taking piano when I was six years old. You know, music was this kind of, I, I suppose, institutionalized music was, was always a part of my life. And I knew when I was in seventh grade that I wanted to have music be my career. So I knew way wow. earlier. Which seventh grade. I mean, <laughs> okay. So the thing about that that now I've gone back and thought about is like, I said a lot of stuff when I was in seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, this one I just happened to be right about, but like, it's selective, you know. Yeah, right. So right. yeah, t technically I did I did know that at the time I could have been wrong. I just happened not to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, seventh grade, and I I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a music teacher because I didn't know there was any other career in music. I really didn't, you know. Um, I thought that was the only thing you could do. I guess specifically with with my instrument, but uh, so I thought I was gonna be a music teacher. And then a little bit of the way through high school, I, I decided I, I might want to try performance. And that was, you know, I loved jazz, but I, I was not as proficient in it. I didn't think I could get into a conservatory doing it. And so I went mm -hmm. the classical route. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of my teachers recommended Purchase, which is really not a, not a huge name um, because there's a, a few professors there that you know he he knew of and it was good so i went and got a lesson with weston he kicked my butt i said that's what i need yeah. you know and i i think i was i was really i think i was I, my line of thinking you can understand but i don't know that it was smart uh which was if i'm going to do this very you know reckless thing which is try to get a degree in performance um first of all i need my butt kicked and second of all 
I don't I shouldn't really have a backup plan to that like this is all or nothing so I only applied to one school <laughs> it was basically this this idea of like if I can't get into the school I want then I shouldn't be doing this and I need to reassess wow yeah I, I don't think that's smart but at the but I think it is you know something to consider which is if if you're not getting into that school that you want on this risky thing you know what are you doing i don't know uh, i i it was really not smart but it worked out <laughs> well you know it's um, interesting I, had a, I had a backup plan at least but well maybe a backup plan for another college or university to go yeah. to but you know i I've, I've had uh, a parent not long ago uh with one of my university students who said, you know, and, and this is, I'm learning about this through my student. Yeah, you know, my mom and dad say that I need to have uh, math or accounting or something as a backup. And my thinking right. is, Ooh, is kind yeah. of what you were saying. If you're not all in, you know, if you're thinking, I gotta have a backup, you know, that kind of makes you wonder, are you really committed up front to this? And, and, and I think, you know, unless you're willing to just well, to not to be repetitive, but to go all in, you know, um, then then you got to you got to answer some serious questions. Maybe accounting should be my focus, and you know, the, and music will be my my relief, my sideline. Yeah, yeah, or combine them. You know, there, mm -hmm. there's plenty of stuff that you could do out of business school, out of an accounting thing that like you can i don't know do musicians taxes or something that like yeah right is specifically <laughs> needed yeah. right that combines these two things you have to understand the music industry to do that it's mm -hmm. so different than any other you know freelance industry even you know so there, there's ways to combine those things um or work for like a big record label as you know right. there, there are there are needs to combine those passions that you are uniquely suited for. For me, it's technology and marketing and sociology and computers and music, right? Nobody else that doesn't have all of those passions is going to love doing exactly what I do. There's parts of this job, the video editing, that is just like so monotonous and boring to anybody else, but I love it and I love getting into the nitty gritty of that. So, uh, you know, there's that's kind of the this this part of it that's like you have mm -hmm. to combine all those things to create this this i don't know unique space for yourself in the industry yeah. but yeah the the all or nothing thing um it's tough uh you really have to love it but i don't know and and like know that you're probably not going to make a ton of money doing it but still do it you know right that that's yeah, you kind of have to be okay with that from the beginning. And I've heard it said many more eloquently ways, but like, you know, if, if there's anything else, yeah. <laughs> the only reason you do music is because there's nothing else you could possibly right. do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there's some validity to that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think I could, I could do any of the, the other passions that I, I talked about marketing or all of those things. Right. And I think I would be very happy, but, yeah. um, yeah, combining them all is, of course. The best so, move. you've obviously found a niche. You found yes. a combination <laughs> of things that work. <clears throat> how how'd you arrive at this point? Um, like, when did so the marketing was, come in? When did all the electronics? I mean, mm -hmm. this is, it, it wasn't all of a sudden, right? No, no. Um, I mean, the the progression was I was in school studying classical music, and on the side, I was arranging. <clears throat> and that had been happening all through, you know, all through my schooling, 
middle school I was arranging. I remember the first one I did was Crazy Train for Brad oh, Ensemble yeah. <laughs> in, in seventh grade or something. Sixth grade, maybe. I think it was sixth grade. And, uh, you know, of course, a sixth grader comes to their band director and says, I arranged something for Brass Ensemble. They're going to play it, you know, no matter how good or bad it is. So I'm sure right. it was awful. But, <laughs> you know, of course, we played it. And, and that kind of encouragement just kept going because, you know, of course, a, a student is, is that excited about something like that. You're going to continue to, to encourage it as a mm-hmm. middle school or high school band director. So um, that encouragement pushed me through to keep arranging and getting better at it. Um and then in college, there, there's, I don't know how they found me. I must have posted just something. And this group in Tasmania, uh, they, this trombone quartet found me and had me arrange um, like Beatles tunes for them. Uh, and so this was maybe my sophomore, freshman, and it's freshman, sophomore year of, uh, of undergrad. And they, you know, were paying me to, to make these arrangements. And so I would get my friends together and we'd record that, well, not record them, we'd just play them. And then I would make changes. And going through that a little bit, it, it got to the point where I wanted them to take it more seriously. But of course, these are my friends and this was just for fun. This is my gig, not theirs. <laughs> so I, I said, okay, I'll just record the parts myself. And that was, those were the beginning YouTube videos, um, were these arrangements I was writing for this quartet that I just recorded the parts myself to see how they sounded. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first video, there's no video. It's just the recording, a picture of me and and that's it. Um, from there I started arranging a little bit more, um, making a couple videos that went viral in my space, which is like, you know, 900 views. I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. (laughs) Um, and Wait, MySpace, you know, I have to put a footnote here for some people. They're literally like, what the heck is MySpace? Oh, no, no, no. In my, in my, my world. Uh, yeah, no, ah, after, okay, okay. After MySpace. Okay. After MySpace. Okay. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so I think it was, I was learning as I went. Video editing, arranging, audio editing, you know, all of the, the pieces of the puzzle I was practicing, really. Right. Um, but and honing in the, those those parts, even the, the Photoshop and thumbnail editing and and kind of market testing, really, like titles and th- things that really matter to, to like YouTube algorithms and things. I was learning just by trying them and getting really into like how something is going to be received and perceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I say something on camera, the way I, I say it and like all of the things, the, the sociology part of it, which is like, how is that going to be perceived by an audience and how do I want it perceived and how do I make sure that it's perceived the way I want it to be? Uh, that stuff just, just so, so interesting to me, um, at the time and, and still, but, uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's the kind of stuff I was getting into and, and how the marketing started to, you know, seep into my life, started reading mm-hmm. books on, uh, like the power of habit and, and stuff, you know, um, marketing strategies and things. Um, and keeping, my eyes on the prize of like authenticity which i think i've done a a decent job with uh throughout all of this which like Mm -hmm. when you watch my videos i don't think you get the vibe of like oh he's trying to sell me something or like okay he's got his album and his lesson course this is merch like there's a lot that i'm selling but i you know i 
I hope it comes across as very authentic. Like, yeah, if you want this stuff, it's there for you. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Not yeah. like you have to do this unless you, you know, or else you're not a good musician. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's That's the way to do it is to guilt everybody into buying something, right? Plenty of people do it and make a lot of money doing so. But right. yeah, so I, I, I pride myself on having authentic ways to market the stuff that I do. And, and maybe I, I'm less popular and have less money because of it, but I can sleep at night. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that's that's all the stuff that kind of got me through that period of my life. And then, you know, happy that that video went viral my senior year. Um, I mean, literally my last semester of undergrad. And mm -hmm. that was an interesting time in my life because I had gotten into um, a master's program at Cal Arts for jazz mm -hmm. and and like commercial music studying under Alex Isles, Jim uh, Miller. It was going to be a very interesting change into this this other side of music that I was not familiar with and uh, or proficient. And I, I was going to learn a lot, but then this video went viral and I, I it was literally like two weeks of this video going viral and them emailing me saying like, hey, we really need to know if you're going to accept mm -hmm. <laughs> this, mm -hmm. uh, you know, coming to school here. And I had to make that decision and I turned it down. You know, they, they gave me all the scholarship money. It was a really hard decision. And yeah. instead I moved here to my tiny house in the middle of nowhere outside of New York City and, <laughs> and made YouTube videos full time. Um, understanding that it could crash and burn and I only had like eight months of rent saved up, but <laughs> that was, you know, I, I felt like I had to try because if I went out to L.A., I would have been broke instantly and had to take loans. Oh, right, and right. I got through all of undergrad, especially at the state school and being an RA, working my way through school that I didn't have any debt. And it just felt crazy to throw that away just then when I was trying to get started. So, yeah, it, it all kind of happened right at the right time, but mm -hmm, very scary mm -hmm. few months of my life. Well, here we are in the middle of today's interview. Just a reminder that support for this podcast comes from Messina Covers, who has you covered, literally, for all of your custom case needs. The Eastman Music Company, providing excellence from the professional model to the beginner model. And of course, Pickett Blackburn, providing you with a multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. Now, back to the interview. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking it takes, you're, you're awfully young to be so aware of mm. everything. And it's just, uh, well, it's pretty spectacular to, to listen to the story. It's like, here's somebody who's savvy and learning to become more savvy uh, at what he's doing and, and all the peripheral things that start to gather in. You know, it's like, you're talking about the technology and the marketing and it's like, you're making everything work for you here. And I think, you know, yeah. that's, uh, that, that's unique. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also being a one man show um, makes it like, like you, you think about small companies who are able to like circumvent industry stuff because they're so small and, and can kind of uh, work really fast. Being a one person thing with, you know, obviously I'm, I, I can't do as much, but if I just decide I want to do something, I go do it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's allowed me to pivot 
the industry changing and YouTube algorithms and, and just trying all sorts of new things. Mm -hmm. um, certainly they all haven't worked. Um, I, I've tried different platforms. I try to stay out on the forefront. You know, if I see there's a platform people are using, especially younger kids who are my main audience, uh, I try to make sure I at least understand it. I might not be able to make content for it regularly or anything like that, but I, I can't afford at least right now to be that person who's like, Oh, there's another platform. I don't like, <laughs> yeah. what is that? Which I get like, that's a, that's a serious thing that happens. And I'm just like, this is my whole world. I can't afford to do that right now. I have to, I mm -hmm. have to be kind of on the forefront of that stuff. So I've, I've made a, you know, concerted effort to make sure that I, I'm trying I'm trying to yeah. do all that stuff, yeah. but there's certainly platforms that I try that come out and they just, they don't pick up or things that I try to do live streaming. I did Twitch streaming things that like, yeah, okay. It's kind of fun. And I, I realize if I did this full time, if this is all I did, it could be wildly successful, but I need to focus on, you know, the thing that's working, which is YouTube, you know? Yeah. Um, so th there's definitely, uh, parts of this where it's like, Okay, I understand it, and I know that I could be successful at it, but there's just not enough time, hours in the day. Yeah. Did you try um, TikTok? Yeah, yeah. I actually just had had my first TikTok go viral like two weeks ago. I was very excited. <laughs> now, you can publish the same content on YouTube, right? <clears throat> you can. So so TikTok is, you know, very short, maybe 60-second videos. So um, there's ways that that kind of content usually does well on YouTube, which is like maybe aggregating a lot of them and saying, you know, TikTok compilation and you mm, do 10 right. of them, you know, um, and then it's a 10 minute long video or a little less and people can watch all these back to back. Um, that's how that content would be decent on YouTube. Now, Instagram has added reels, which is just TikTok on Instagram. So you can cross cross um, post those kinds of things, which is good. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, uh, understanding how that, that stuff works and it you know, I'm not immune to it. Like TikTok or uh, Instagram added reels maybe two weeks ago. And you know, when that happens, you're like, oh. <laughs> like yeah. now I have to understand this, but you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's a gamble on their end because they're, they're kind of, you know, put out this new platform and push it really hard to make sure that it has right. engagement. And, uh, it, there's a big pushback from the users, which is like, we liked it the way it was. Now you're adding this, but you know, understanding it is important and being one of those early adopter actually makes it easier to push through because there's fewer people on that. Right. So, so that hasn't replaced uh, Instagram TV, right? Or whatever the... Uh, no. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. There's like Instagram, which is for pictures and short videos. And then there's Reels, which is literally the exact same um, uh, platform and, and interface as TikTok. And then there's Instagram TV, which is those longer videos. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, it kind of seems like, why don't you just put it all together and just allow whatever you want? But right. uh, I understand the engagement with it is different. So, yeah. you know, how people yeah. are interacting with the content changes depending on the length of it. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting stuff. But yeah, it's just a matter of like, what's working and how can I replicate that? And, right. and so that's where YouTube has been just my bread and butter because it's like okay i have enough data where i could say like okay i know what's working and you know if i want a viral video i can, i know how to do that right uh, and if i want to be creatively emotionally stable i know how to do that they're different <laughs> you know i can do a, a big video game medley and it'll get a ton of views it's good but like there's you know a rhyme and reason to to all yeah. of this stuff so yeah. yeah so here's the burning question okay 
who convinced you to become Princess Leia? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I did it first years ago. I did it again for a collaboration with Jim Nova, but the first time, that was all me. I, I decided to do that. I had long hair, you know. It was like, I, I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. And so it was like, okay, what can I dress up as? And, and I also, I don't know, I'm, I'm really into sustainability. So buying a ton of costumes just for like a one-off video is really not my style. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, of course, it would be a much more engaging thing if I did. Um, so I, I struggle a lot to, to find ways to make that happen. And uh, yeah, Princess Leia was like, okay, I'll put a, <laughs> I'll put a button-up shirt on backwards, like a, a white button-up. Yeah. Has that collar looks good. And then I spent, oh, man, eight hours on YouTube tutorials trying to get my hair right. Oh. <laughs> It took forever. You know, it's funny. The first one, it was the first or second try, and it looked so good. And then the other side, just making it match, took like hours and hours. hours. Yeah. So, yeah, I I feel for people who who do those, like, makeup tutorials and stuff. Yeah. But it worked. I mean, obviously, that visual, that that was terrific. Yeah. I mean, those those kind of stark, and and really, it comes down to the thumbnails. Um, I like to say I make thumbnails for a living, and there just <laughs> happens to be YouTube videos attached mm-hmm, to them, mm-hmm. because if nobody clicks on the thumbnail, it doesn't matter how good the video is, you know? Right. Um, it just doesn't. And um, the title, you know, I, I've kind of gotten into this groove. Um, there's a couple of my friends who are now YouTubers as well, and, and we have nerdy conversations about YouTube algorithms, but... Um, one thing being like watch time. So if somebody watches a little bit of the video, it, it's less promoted. But if you watch a long length, and so if you'll notice, like my, excuse me, more recent videos, they're like um, this song, except it gets more complex each verse, right? So it means you have to watch to the end, <laughs> and of course you, you're incentivized to keep watching. Oh, it's getting more complex, more complex, or it, you know, it gets funkier each each uh, you know every eight eight bars, that kind of stuff. That just like. Mm-hmm. It, it draws you in and keeps your attention. Um, of course, it's a lot. It's creatively a, a different problem to solve. Of like, how do I how do I add something? How do I make this more interesting as it goes? Right. Um, it's it's a fun problem and, and it's a it's been keeping it a lot more interesting for me because uh, you know I, I used to just do pop covers and that's just the cover and it's it's more of a science than an art form. Just it's right. like a transcription, really, um, yeah. really fun. I love doing it, but. Um, you know, the, most of these tunes, you could literally play the actual song and my arrangement and front, like beginning to end, they'll line up exactly same key, same, like every inflection of the voice. I, right. I try to keep them very, very similar. Um, and so this has added a, a creative element that I've, I've enjoyed, but also that marketing aspect of like, mm-hmm. how do you keep somebody's attention throughout a video? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so... Yeah, those those marketing conversations or YouTube algorithm conversations of like, how do you yeah how do you keep somebody's attention and get them to click on that video? Right. Um, because once they do, your job's done. <laughs> once they watch that ad, you're good. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, well, the first video that popped into my head was a Pentatonics video. Sure. You know, and we're talking like they've got their label and millions of dollars backing, and mm-hmm. it's a you know very high production value uh, budget. And it's like you've got to accomplish the same thing, mm-hmm. it, you know, 
scaled down <laughs> quite a bit, but you still are effective. I mean, to me, it just goes to show you that you don't have to spend. I mean, if you if you do it right, you don't yeah. have to spend that kind of money. Yeah, and and there's YouTube kind of has this. It's split in its um, like mission statement. I guess I would say like at the beginning, it was people in their basements just like making funny videos, no money involved. It was just that. Right. And it that vibe is still there. It still exists and it still is popularized. There's certainly videos that without that aesthetic of I just filmed this on my phone, the video goes away. Like the the charm of it is gone because then it's like, oh, you had a team of people and a lighting crew. And like this obviously isn't you just turning on right. your camera and like catching a funny moment. So it's no longer interesting to watch. It seems, you know, it's it's staged. Mm -hmm. But then you also have, like, Jimmy Fallon being one of the most popular people on YouTube with the whole production value. So you, you have the commercialized version of it, but the underground stuff is still there. So it's kind of interesting to to think about where you're trying to place that. So if my production value goes up, the um, people will give me less, uh, I don't know, less rope, <laughs> you know? Like, it has right. to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and if the production value is low quality, then all of a sudden you kind of get this creative freedom a little bit more, I think. Um, but of course, you want to look at a crystal clear video, too. So, you know, and have the audio sound really good. So, so yeah, it's it's definitely playing that game of, like, how much production value is, is it to know that, like, well, first of all, it's only me. I don't have a video production crew. I'm editing all my videos myself still. All of this, mm -hmm. you know, it's just me. So as long as people can understand that still then any video editing i do that's really cool all of a sudden i get all the credit for that but if you go up to that next step and it's like oh wow like okay you got editors cool no it's good mm -hmm. <laughs> you know <laughs> right it's right. more engaging for sure but now we're on to that next level of like commercialization of it right which is not not a bad thing it's certainly just the next step in the progression yeah. but yeah. you know it, it changes things for sure yeah so what happens if YouTube goes away? <laughs> I think about that uh, less now, but uh, all, often, as I was starting the first five, six years, you know, it, it's very clear that it could go away any day, you know, just as fast as it came. It's only been around for a decade, so. Um, yeah, and isn't that crazy? Yeah. To think it really that it's, it's gone. And I think I just saw they, they moved the Google podcast or Google Music now is uh, YouTube, YouTube Music. music. Yeah. They just uh, migrated all that. Yep. Yeah. 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 Google Music will be uh, discontinued by I think the end of the year or something. Yeah. But um, yeah. So that's it's definitely something we think about as creators. Uh, less about will YouTube go away, and more about just the tweaking of the algorithm. So a great example of this is mm, three or four years ago, probably less than that, but certainly three or four years ago. If you went to YouTube, the, the thing you would see is all of the people you subscribe to and their most recent videos. That's If you went to YouTube.com, that's what you would see. Now, that's not what you see. And so people will be subscribed to me or whoever, and they might not necessarily ever see their videos, right? And that little tweak made people stay on YouTube so much longer so for youtube as a whole it's much much better because usually you would go to youtube okay i watched all the videos that i'm subscribed to i watched all the right. new ones and then you leave 
Well, now when you go to YouTube, it's only videos that are recommended to you and they're always changing. So you'll never see a video that you already saw mm -hmm. uh, and you stay on it much longer. So again, for YouTube, it's, it's much better, but for the creators, all of a sudden it, it disconnected them from their audience who subscribed to them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that all of a sudden all these creators saw this huge drop and that's why it's like, click the bell notification to like, make sure, you know, now all of a sudden we have to say that too. So those kinds of changes definitely make us nervous as creators because that little tweak is, it's like the AI thing where it's like, oh yeah, this is good for the whole, but for the individuals, it could be catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, if the algorithm just decides that, you know, people aren't engaging with your content the way it wants, it wants to. So, um, yeah, I, I think about that a little bit more now than YouTube going away, but either way, that's why you build like mailing lists and stuff like you, you kind of have to get off the platform uh that's right. like the very first step of marketing and it, it feels silly because emails are so kind of old-fashioned now but it's it's the only way to to actually make sure that you have control of your audience um right and can contact them because yeah i have almost three hundred thousand subscribers and i can reach maybe five thousand of them if I really want to, you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. if I need to reach them, I can probably reach 5,000 um, yeah. for sure. And if I have a video that does well, maybe it's 10 or 20, 30, 40,000, but that's still out of 300,000. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, it's, it's tough to know that you've built this audience and you can't even talk to them. You can't even get through to them <laughs> if you wanted to. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's kind of the name of the game there is like yeah. trying to, pull out the really dedicated audience out of that and so for me like i said it's maybe that five thousand people which is great because that means like okay i sell an album for ten dollars a pop and five thousand people buy it i'm doing okay you know like, yes yeah like, i'm i'm gonna be fine right uh but it's making sure you can actually reach those dedicated fans that will buy everything you do do everything you know follow you anywhere you go any platform you're on um that's way 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 more important than the 300,000 which makes headlines you know right. subscribe you know trombonist on youtube or brass musician on youtube that that makes the headlines but that doesn't pay the bills what pays the bills are those really dedicated not even the 5,000 the 300 patreon donors like that's what right. actually has allowed me to do this for a living those yeah. 300 super dedicated people who are like i will pay you you know ten dollars a month because i love this stuff so much yeah that's what actually makes this possible yeah yeah yeah, that's what I got to do is, uh, you know, build my Patreon. It was a conversation we first had. That's right. You know, I was I was talking about the, uh, that sort of thing. But I'm not going to turn that turn this into a cons consultation hey, right now. No, but, <laughs> but anybody listening to this, make sure you go on Patreon. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. Subscribe to both of us. That's right. right. <laughs> sure. Split it. I'll, I'll split whatever you were going to, to give to me. Split it half and half and, and go to both of us. <laughs> So, you know, you mentioned uh, Jim Nova earlier, and I yeah. think there, there are so many great people out there, so talented, and um, I, I think it was his arrangement of Star Wars that you sure. played, is that right? Which, yeah, we did, uh, um, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't the main theme, but yeah, we did, we did one of his arrangements for sure. Oh, Imperial March, Imperial right. Imperial March, that's right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's cool to see uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have seen this unless I had attended, you know, ITF 
-hmm. what it was two years ago in Muncie, or I wouldn't have seen it had I gone to wherever uh, Jim is and, you know, whatever trombone ensemble. You know, so YouTube was great. It was great for that. Um, and, and, you know, there's, oh, and I can't remember his name. You've probably seen this kid, uh, horn player, like 20-some years old, Stuart or Spencer, something like that. But this kid's ridiculous. But he's doing what you and Jim and these others are doing. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just, he's not got the marketing side th of things right. down yet. But he's recording, you know, up to like eight horn parts and, mm -hmm. you know, and... Uh, so, you know, I, I, well, I mentioned this because it's like now you've become an inspiration, obviously, for so many others, you know, who are out there trying uh, to do this sort of thing. Um, Lucky Chops, you know, might have been sure. one of the first the first ones I'd seen. Um, but I haven't seen anything from them recently. Oh, they're around. <laughs> yeah. They're still around? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, the, they've got a, a tuba player who's a friend of mine. Um, yeah, they're still they they've been doing actually these like international tours up until the shutdown. So yeah. yeah. Um yeah, they're definitely still around. They're doing great actually. Yeah. So what's uh what's a big project laying ahead of you right now? Um, I've been doing a I've been a full time video editor for the past six months. Um it's been kinda crazy. So shutdown happened and I when when is this coming out? Is this twenty twenty four? No, no, no. It won't be that late. It won't be that late. <laughs> so back in the year twenty twenty. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, I started yeah doing this freelance video editing for groups that obviously couldn't come together in person, and I've been doing that nonstop. Um, and I kind of got fried, a little burnt out, and I had to stop accepting new clients for a little bit, and so. Of course, there's a, a delay of when you accept the client uh, to when they actually record their parts and send it in and you have to edit. So right. I stopped accepting clients maybe a month and a half ago, and I'm getting to the end of that queue of actually finishing the last few projects uh, this week and next. So for the first time in a long time since, well, since January, I will actually have like a full week to work on a YouTube video. <laughs> wow. So I'm very, very excited um, to actually get get that time back to focus on my creative pursuits mm -hmm. so i mean i have an album that i've been working on for uh, about a year um i don't know that we're going to be able to get it out in time for the the fall but if not you know yeah hear stuff about it i also have yeah. <laughs> a big video game medley that i've been uh saying that i would do for years literal years Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'll finally have time to finish that. I started arranging it and posted a video on like Instagram of me doing it, and that was just before the shutdown. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not happening anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, some really cool collaborations um, that that I kind of have in the works of virtual folks. Um, I'm writing a piece called the uh, Four Horsewomen of the Apocalypse. <laughs> Really? Uh, for these uh, amazing young female trombonists um, from all over the world, uh, Ukraine, Russia, uh, Italy, UK, uh, one's down in Texas, you know, so um, they're high school age, I think they're all under 18, um, and they're just like, I've seen them posting stuff on Instagram, I'm like, these people are better than me, what's going on? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the, the girl from the UK posts these transcriptions of like ridiculous jazz trauma I'm like oh man so I reached out to them and I, I'm writing a piece for them uh, I don't know if I've 
said that publicly yet so that's a that's an exclusive but um yeah so yeah i can i can i can trim that out if you need me to no it's great it'll make force me to actually do it um (laughs) yeah in that case this is coming out next week okay yeah um yeah so those kinds of projects more creative focused i'm very excited about um once these video editing projects kind of eclipse a little bit um right yeah i've I've had one day that i haven't uh that i I haven't had to focus on the video editing since march 15th yeah um and those those have been awesome honestly i mean they 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 pay well and they're really fun um you know i worked for the chicago symphony for for one for their civic orchestra um you know the youth orchestras in Chicago, National Medical Orchestra. Like it's been great. Uh, grad school, the American Band College. Like it's been it's been really incredible to work nice. with all these groups and um, composers, and it's it's been awesome. But yeah. you know, it's also twelve hour days and stuff. So you yeah. gotta you gotta <laughs> take a little break sometimes. So yeah, um, yeah, uh, it'll be fun to to focus back on the YouTube stuff and be a little bit more creative with that uh, than I've been because it's been, you know, I get to the end of the week and it's like, okay, got a good video yeah. out. Here we go. Yeah. You know, two days to put something really creative out and I don't know, there's nothing worse than than knowing what I would do with something if I had another couple of days to work on it and knowing that I just don't have the time. Uh, right. So it'll be, it'll be really nice to get yeah. back to that and maybe go outside. I don't know. <laughs> you, you might be one of the youngest people I talk to it's it, it, which it's is crazy getting a little less weird now you know pushing on 30 it's like okay it's Ugh. better but when I started it was like I was 22 like <laughs> 20 and it's like I don't know anything yet like I don't yeah. I still kind of feel like that but at least I, I know my space you know and I know my boundaries I know what else is out there you know if we're talking about YouTube like I feel comfortable saying like sure. yes I know what I'm talking about here yeah um but yeah at the beginning it was it was very especially in the educational space you know I, I there was a time the summer or two after I graduated undergrad that I was teaching um you know Marcus Rojas you ever run into him Mm-mm. tuba player in, in New York great great guy and he uh invited me to, to come talk at his NYU summer brass mm-hmm. workshop and I go in there and there were three kids that were in undergrad with me older than me Wow. Like they were, they were, they graduated before me, and now I was teaching this class to people who I went to school with who were older than me. <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is, this is weird, you know? Like, yeah. what do I know? <laughs> what do I know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's getting a little easier, just knowing, like, yeah, knowing my boundaries and, yeah, um, and honestly, just learning from everybody who I come into contact with. Like, that's been the best part about this is having the platform lets me have conversations like this and, and meet tons of people that I can learn from. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you say that because I've told, I don't know how many people I've interviewed. I said, I feel like I just got a private lesson, mm-hmm. you know, hey, yeah, talking to these legends like. and I'm like, you know, and, and I, I don't have to take notes cause I'm recording everything. Right. <laughs> but I, you know, so I go back and when I edit and then I start taking notes. Okay. Oh yeah. That was brilliant. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's exactly what it feels like. Just like, uh, especially at the big conferences, Midwest Clinic, and you know, you end up just being in the same room as all these people, and yeah, um, it it takes away that the hardest part about those interactions, which is the introduction. You know that that my platform has taken that away, and I remember the first time it happened at the Tramon uh, Festival, and must have been 2014. I was 
still mm-hmm. in school, you know, just just had graduated like a couple weeks before. Yeah. And these legends are coming up to me like, oh, the guy from the happy video. Right. You know, <laughs> and it's like because that it was that same, you know, months before when that came out. So it taking away that introduction, it changes everything, you know, because somebody comes up to you you're like, all right, who are you? What do you want? What's, what do you, right. you know, like it, right. that it just happens, especially at those festivals. Yeah. Um, so honestly, that's been the best part about all of this is just it takes away that introduction you know yeah. I, I so <laughs> I went up to I was trying to make a video at uh, ITF at Juilliard and I went down to the floor where everybody you know all the instruments were set up and I, I ran into Tom Malone Tom Bones Malone oh, yeah. the late yeah. show and I was like hey do you want to come like blow on a funk tune upstairs for a video he goes yeah okay he comes up he plays sounds great like, okay I'll let you know when it comes out and then I got an, I sent him the email with with the video, and he sent one back. He goes, "Oh, I know who you are. Like you're the guy from <laughs> Happy Video." I was like, "That whole time you didn't know who he I was." He had no idea. Didn't matter. He was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll go play." On <laughs> like, it, it, that kind of like extra level of like, yeah, okay, sure, why not? Some kid comes cool. up to you, and yeah, so that I mean that's an extra level of nice, but. Um, yeah, I, I definitely have seen that, especially in the commercial world. I mean, yeah. Like I said, you you don't get those jobs unless you're fun to be around. Right. So you kind of right. weed out the ones that aren't just because yeah. they're not getting called. Yeah. I don't know if the trumpet world's like that, but <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, it's a, it's it's great. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a very cool vibe in the trumpet world, and you know, everybody thinks about trumpet players and their egos. Mm-hmm. And there are some. Right. But for the most part, you know, it's it's a it's a great community. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think of people like Tony Cadillac and different New York players that are just like the Swiss Army knife of of musician. It's just like they're gonna show up, they're gonna do it, they're gonna be fun to be around, they're gonna be great. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. That's all you need. Well, cool. Thanks again. Yeah, of course. I appreciate if it. Anything yeah. else? Just let me know. Yeah, it won't be 2024 when this comes out. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> it'd be a lot sooner than that. But I'll let you know. I'll yeah. keep you posted on it. Had to give you a hard time. <laughs> all right. All right. Take care. Stay healthy, please. Yeah, you too. All right. See see you. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Christopher Bell. Don't forget, there's bonus content available for my Patreon patrons. And if you're interested, you can go to patreon.com slash studio HFL and check the available tiers to subscribe. And if you would go to Apple Podcast and leave a star rating and a comment, that would also be greatly appreciated. Thanks for your time today. Now here's Aaron Rum to take us out. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Tune in next week for another great interview. And one last reminder that you can help support this podcast by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com slash studiohfl. Your support would be most appreciated. And another special thanks to Messina Covers, the Eastman Music Company, and Pickett Blackburn for their support of this podcast. Thanks again. Now, go practice. <laughs>